and welcome to Start Right Here, a podcast where we discuss breaking in, standing out, and the path to success in the beauty industry. I'm your host, Corinne Corbett, and I hope the conversations I have with my guests inspire you to forge a path of your own. Let's get started. Today, I'm happy to welcome India Jill Jackson, a globally-minded and digitally-focused editorial strategist, insight-informed storyteller who has put these skills to work for leading media publishing brands, e-commerce retailers, and global tech brands. She's going to tell us how she got her start and how she has utilized these skills in the U.S. and abroad. Welcome, India Jill. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you here. So can you start by giving us your 30-second bio? Absolutely. I started my career in pure magazine editorial. I jumped around a lot. And after two years, I hopped online and I went to work at Glam Media, which was glam.com. They were a affiliate network company. They used to run advertising on blogs in layman's terms. But they had an editorial storefront, so I used to run the Beauty Vertical slash channel for that. Before I moved back over into mainstream magazines after five years, where I did some freelancing for Condé Nast and Time Inc., uh, before I went back to Hearst and launched their branded content studio, which, of course, you know, is responsible for all of the advertorial content across all Hearst magazine brands. And now I've moved overseas and I'm working in social media and marketing and I'm super happy. Oh, that's great. So tell us, was the beauty and fashion industry a destination or a detour for you? Uh, A bit of both, (laughs) randomly. When I first interviewed for an internship at Shape Magazine. Uh, My senior year of college, I went to Howard University in Washington, D.C. So one weekend, I went up to New York to interview with Shape because I knew I wanted to work in magazines after graduating. And I chatted with the fashion editor after waiting for like 30 minutes, and I didn't get that internship. But while I was in the lobby waiting, the beauty editor sat and chatted with me and said she liked my makeup and blah, blah, blah. That Monday, when I got back to D.C., I got a call from the beauty editor asking me to take a beauty internship instead. So what I thought I wanted didn't materialize, which pivoted me into the beauty world. Well, do you know that I have a similar story? (laughs) Really? Yeah. It wasn't an internship. It was a job, though. I'm an original staff member of Elle. I've been in this business for a very long time. We won't Mm -hmm. count how many years. But... I interviewed to be the fashion assistant Mm -hmm. and I went there in a navy blue suit. Don't ask me why. And a white blouse because my sister told me this was the 80s. And my sister told me that's the way you go in an interview. I should have dressed the way I normally dressed. And I didn't get that job. I worked at Women's Wear Daily at the time. And my old boss was kind of campaigning for me to get a job. I had worked on the advertising sales side as her secretary, and she already had a job at Elle. So she called me up one day and said, the beauty editor wants to see you. Come today after work. So I just wore what I had on. And I ended up with that job. And the day that I started, a couple of days after I started, I just came dressed like I normally came dressed to work. And the fashion director came to me and said, you know, you can switch to fashion down the line if you want to. So it's kind of similar in that... <laughs> 
That's the one I wanted fashion. I was so sure I was going to get a fashion job and I ended up in beauty. Look at the redirection. Yes. Isn't that amazing? It is amazing. It is amazing. So how did you go about getting your first job? It's actually a funny story. I was interning at InStyle and I met a woman named Karen Good. Uh, I'm not sure if we can name drop her here or not, but she's really mm-hmm. lovely. And she needed me to do her a favor, which I was able to secure for her. And she asked me, how can I help you? And I said, well, I know that you're freelancing at a lot of places. I would love to freelance a bit more as well. Would you be able to introduce me and open a few doors for me? And she's like, sure. So she sent out a email. She sent a connection to Glam. And they actually had a beauty role available. And I was just looking to freelance. They saw my CV. They saw that I had interned at Shape and Cosmo Girl and Seventeen and In Style and whatnot. And they wrote to me and asked if I would be interested in actually interviewing for the role. I had interned for only a year. Uh, I did four internships in a year. And I had been at Moore and Ladies Home Journal as an editorial assistant for only six months. So. In the span of 18 months, I got my first job and I put it all down to, I guess it's 12 months because I got the more in ladies home journal after the year, but I don't really count that as a first job. It's still okay. like an internship as an assistant, but going to glam in California off the back of Karen helping me, that really felt like my first job to me. I learned so much about content creation and digital content creation in that respect, because I'd been on the magazine side before previously. So tell me about how important it is to make connections with people. I think it's more important than anything. I think where you go to school is super important because from there you can sort of seg into who you meet and who you know. If you're going to school with people who are very serious about their career and very serious about their future. And if you're going to a school that's like FIT and you meet all of the fashion people, of course you guys are going to help each other succeed. You know, you go to Syracuse and you're in the journalism program, of course you're going to help each other get there. I think who you know is more important than what you know these days. Because even I, when I still interview or when I still talk to people that are hiring, I'm learning more than ever. It's who you know and if you're a good culture fit more so than if you know how to do the job. You can teach anyone how to do the job as long as the base skills are there. I think it's really important for you to be able to make sure that you can fit into the team and that you know who can help you get there. Right, right. So where did you go to school? I went to Howard. I just want to make sure. (laughs) (laughs) I want to make sure we got that in there. Yeah, I am a HU Bison, Howard stand up all the way. And my network is expansive. When I need to meet someone, I feel like I'm always two or three degrees away from the person I need to contact instead of six, just because that alumni network is so deep. And I don't think that I would be where I am today if I hadn't have gone to Howard. I'd be in a completely different career if I'd gone somewhere else. That's why I try and tell my brother and my nephews and nieces where you go to school matters. Don't pick the party school. If you want to do the party school, do it for a year or two and then transfer to the serious school. It matters. That's fantastic. 
Maybe I'll ask you one more thing because I don't know. I don't remember if I asked you this. What do you think the value of an internship is? I think internships, as far as I know, um, when I was doing them 15 years ago, I think they're pretty priceless. I think you learn the ins and outs of the office and the business while still sort of being able to fade into the background and do the grunt work and do the assistant work that makes you who you are, that really gives you that work ethic that'll carry you through your career 20, 30, 40 years later. I had some great bosses that I learned a lot from. And I also had some really terrible Miranda Priestly type bosses that I also learned a lot from. And don't mistake it, I was very blessed to be able to do all of those internships in New York City, unpaid, being able to sort of skate by on family money that was able to sort of keep me floating. But these are things that you have to think about when you want to intern. I didn't have a legacy. My mother is in the medical field. My father was in the aviation industry. So I knew that if I really wanted to be serious, internships was the only way that I could get in. And I did everything I could to make sure that I was able to be successful and to be able to stay there. So yeah, I don't think that anyone should take internships lightly. I think that now I'm seeing so many different companies take their internship programs seriously and they're paid now. And you know, you can actually work your way up and go from intern to marketing manager in three years. They have these programs and these schemes where you get set up to stay with the company. Again, choose your internships wisely as well. Try to apply at companies where you could see yourself being there for a while and growing. So what skill did you learn there that set you up for success later? I learned to pay close attention. Basically what we were doing back then, it was the early aughts. And we were taking content from the magazine and digitizing it and publishing it online. We were doing very little original content. So it was my job to make sure that everything went from in copy to the CMS swiftly and easily. And a lot of times there would be small mistakes, a punctuation here, um, by instead of they, like little things happen in, in translation back then. The systems weren't super precise. And one of the things that my editor praised me about in my review was that, you know, she called me eagle eyes. She said that I catch mistakes that other people don't. And it's something that stuck with me for a long time. I actually pride myself on that, that I'm able to scan a paragraph and see a mistake almost instantly. So I guess the lesson for me was to pay very close attention, especially when you're in editorial, because there's not a lot of time. Everything moves so quickly. And it moved fast back then on the print side. It moves even faster now on the digital side. Right. So the other thing I would say that you were fortunate to work on the digital side of those magazines, which positions you well for your next job in terms of creating original content for digital. It actually did. Something that I always think about is how fortunate I am to have gotten into digital early. I remember when I got that offer at Moore and Lady Tom Journal Online, a few of my friends were like, oh, you're going into dot com, dot com. No one cares about dot com. And it was like, you guys are idiots. <laughs> com is going to be amazing. Just watch. You know, lo and behold, now they come to me or they have over the years asking me how they can get into digital. Right. You have to be an early adopter. You have to pay attention to the market and to see where the industry is going and where the world's going next. You always want to be on the forefront of that. That is so true. That is definitely true. So you also 
at the forefront of branded content. Now, that's another thing that people wanted to put their noses up up. at the beginning of it. You know, you hear editorial and you're thinking if you're a purist in editorial, you think that's not really edit and that's not really part of a a media, but it's become a very important revenue stream for media companies. The branded content pays for the pure editorial. So stick your nose up at that. You have a job because of branded content. Let's keep it cute. Right. (laughs) What was the lesson there in terms of working on branded content? I think the lessons that I learned or that I instilled having set up that department and did all the hiring, it was very important for me to bring on people who are able to placate the brand and make the advertiser happy, but also make the editors of the magazines happy and also create content that the audience or the readers will want to read and share and tag their friends in. It's a three-pronged sort of situation. You have to make all three parties happy at all times. And that, it's a skill. Because going back to the purist discussion we were having a second ago, most people will only think of one. They'll think of their readers or they'll think of the brand. And that's what branded content does. It bridges the gap between those two. That's great. Especially if you're still in school and you are a communications, media, or journalism major, you've got to look at ways to use those skills differently now because there is no pure print opportunity without digital, without branded content. And and the more skills that you have, the better. Yep, exactly. So now you're living in the Netherlands. I am. So you ran away to London. Were you already interested in living overseas? I traveled a lot as a child. My father worked for Delta Airlines. Okay. So flying back then was completely free. You didn't even have to pay taxes. My mother would just pick us up from school on Friday. We'd go away. We'd go to Puerto Rico. We'd go to LA. We'd go to Hawaii. We'd come back next week. And I've always just had that get up and run away type of energy. So I made the decision to move to London very last minute and enroll in that course. But I had a professor in university who told me about the program and said, you know, you'd be very good for it. Let me recommend you. When I interviewed with the head of the department, the dean, he said, we get 5,000 applications for this program. We accept 10. And I was one of the 10 that got in. And that always meant a lot to me. And I always try and push people towards that now that I've come out on the other side. But I moved to Germany in 2017. I moved to Munich to work for an e-commerce retailer because everybody needs an editor these days. It's not just magazines. It's brands. It's regular companies. CVS has editors. Mercedes-Benz has editors. Your local hospital group, they have editors. So don't think that there's just one path to journalism. And if you don't get a job in magazines, your degree is wasted. That's not true. So I lived in Germany for almost two years. I lived in Munich for a year and then I lived in Berlin for another year. And I came to Amsterdam where I am now to do some freelancing because Amsterdam is really easy for Americans to get a visa and a residence permit to live here thanks to the DAFT treaty. It's called DAFT. Start Right Here is brought to you by Beauty Biz Camp where we equip and inspire the next generation of industry leaders. Head over to our website, beautybizcamp.com, for more information and sign up for our mailing list so you can stay in the know about our upcoming programming. So do you speak German? 
after two years, I if someone speaks to me in German, I can respond in English. It's a really hard language to learn. It's really guttural and really deep. So it'll take me years to learn how to speak it, but I can respond and I can understand. And the same with Dutch. So it didn't stop you from moving, though, or working. Many people might be hindered by, oh, I don't speak the language. I probably can't get a job. But you moved to start one job, but you've worked at several jobs since you relocated overseas, correct? I have. I decided in February 2017 that I wanted to live abroad again. So on April 1st, I started applying. I was first applying in England, and then I sort of branched out to an old intern of mine who was working at Sony in Sweden. And she said, you know, we don't have any roles right now, but if you really want to get to Europe quickly, you should apply in Germany because Germany, they love native English speakers that are American because they think that British English is a bit too formal and American English is more laid back. And I was like, hmm, I've been to Germany. I don't love Germany, but sure. And literally a week later, I started applying and I got tons of interviews. And I ended up accepting a role at a global fashion brand. That role got rescinded because they had a bad Q2. So I had to start applying again. And I ended up getting an offer in October. So from what, April to October, what is that, like seven months, six months? So that's pretty good when you're interviewing overseas. You should expect to get an offer between six months to 12 months if you're doing it diligently and taking it serious and taking care of your cover letters and keywording your resume and not using a blanket resume. That's really important in Europe for some reason. It's a nuance that Americans really don't pick up on. So if you are thinking about going to Europe, make sure you take care of that with your CV. Right. Um, I just wanted to piggyback on that. So doing the keyword is not just kind of like hiding them in your, which a lot of people try to do in the U.S., hide them in their resume and hope that the bot will pick it up. But it's actually presenting your skills correctly with keywords so that people can see that. Exactly. Something else that an HR rep told me, she said that it's important for Americans to explain what the company does on your CV slash resume, just because they might not automatically know. Something that's a household brand name over here isn't always that over there. It might be something that they've never heard of. You might have the exact qualifications for the job, but if you're not articulating that correctly, they'll pass you by. So what, in terms of the difference between working in the U.S. and working abroad, are there differences in like company culture? Yes, so much difference. In America, at least in New York, I'd say it's every person for themselves as far as work is concerned. You come to work, you maybe work through lunch at your desk, you maybe hang out after after hours with your colleagues. No big deal if you don't. In Europe, it's expected that you eat lunch together at the same time. And I was used to taking lunch maybe three or four o'clock. In Europe, they take lunch at like 11 or 12 sharp. They're very serious about it. On the flip side, they're also super serious about quitting time. 4.59, people are clocking out and wrapping up and putting on their coats and all going down to the pub together. So, And you're expected to do that with them, correct? Yes. So if you're an introvert or if you have a hard time sort of making friends, you kind of got to get out of that. Right. Fake it till you make it. 
Right. Social skills seem to be an important, not only your professional skills, but your social skills. You have to adjust them to make it there. It's really mm-hmm. interesting. What unsung skill do you think you need to succeed working in abroad and working in content creation? I think it's really important to have a stern point of view, but be able to present it in a way that's super flexible, meaning that decisions aren't made on the fly here. I know in America, at least with editorial, it's a very fail fast kind of concept. Let's just try it and see if it works. No big deal if it doesn't. Failure is taken very seriously or more seriously in Europe. So you have to really have a strong point of view and you have to get all of the stakeholders on board. Everybody has to accept it for you to move forward with an idea. The way that I've learned to get around that is I present multiple copy options and then everybody just chooses their favorite. That way I don't have to keep going back and refining things. I've already done all of the work up front. They choose their favorite one. If it doesn't work, let's A-B test and swap something else in. And it takes me literally five seconds because I'd already done the work before. I actually do that with clients as well. I, I always give multiple options because I don't want to <laughs> I don't wanna have to go back if I don't have to. Like exactly. pick one and then I can be fine from here. Um, <laughs> so you've moved over into social media. So how did you make that adjustment? I find that social media is just the micro version of editorial. You know, you really have to just refine what you want to say in 240 characters and one visual or maybe 10 if you're using a carousel. But you still get to use that creativity and that copy background that we've you know, honed over the last 15 years. It was a really seamless switch for me, though. I think if you work in publishing, especially it's super easy for digital editors and also editors of weeklies because you're used to that sort of short, choppy, quippy type of copy. That translates very well to social media. So you've built teams. Yes. What do you look for when identifying somebody for your team? And how do you identify top talent? I will put up an ad or I'll work with an HR director to write out a job description. I'll put the ad together and get it published. And the resumes that come in, I look to make sure that they have the majority of the skills that we need. But it's also important for me to see what else they're interested in and what else they've done. Because I don't always hire for the job that I'm promoting or that I'm requesting an employee for. I'm also hiring for the future, what I think this team will need in the future. Case in point, when I got to Munich and I was working at that e-commerce site, I hired an editor from Kyrgyzstan. I can't pronounce it. It's really close to Russia, though. She was the editor of Cosmopolitan there. And their teams are super, super small. They're a satellite team. And she did all of the marketing, all of the social media, all of the design and the writing. And I was like, let me give this girl an offer ASAP. She came onto my copy team and a year later she moved over into the marketing team because she had those skills already. I was really proud that I was able to identify her talent, bring her on board and help her progress into a new area of life. Now she's not only an editor, she's also done marketing and we still keep in touch. Uh, Now she's working as a UX designer because she had the design skills as well. You know, never stop with just copy, especially now because We're moving into a gig economy and you want to be able to pick up gigs everywhere. You want to be able to be a great writer. You want to be able to put together a fantastic layout. 
You want to be able to storyboard a video. Never just stop at one thing. I think that's critical. That is critical. This last question, when do you know when it's time to leave a job? (laughs) I think for me, there are a couple of telltale signs. I think if I start coming in late and I'm not exactly excited to get in and get a start on the day, that's the key for me that something's not clicking anymore and it might be time to move forward. I think also if I'm starting to get a bit agitated, whereas I'm usually perfectly fine arguing lightly for my point of view and for my favorite headline and my favorite image choice, it might be time to move on because I think once you start feeling that agitation, I think you've outgrown it when you don't have that excitement anymore. And then just a follow-up, when do you know a job is right for you when you get an offer? That's a tough one, especially now, because I think after this pandemic, I think there will be a lot of people sort of just looking for any job. And I know that that's a tough place to be in. But again, I think it goes back to that internal excitement that no one can see, but only you can feel. That's when you know it's a good thing. And when you can see a clear path to success, And see a clear path to growing beyond it because, and it doesn't always work out perfectly, but I look for companies that when I'm interviewing for a job, they're interviewing me, but I'm also interviewing them because I want to hunker down with a company that has a clear plan for growth for themselves. And usually I can sort of see how I can grow within that organization. I think that's great because I do believe you're right that people will take, you know, because of this pandemic, there is going to be kind of like... I don't want to say desperation, but anxious. People will be anxious if they're job searching, especially if they're entry level and they're looking for something in their field. There will be some anxiety and that whole idea of any job is a good job. But you do want to be someplace that you can stay, if at all possible. So I think that that's great advice. Now let's move on to our fast track questions. So changing course a little bit. What was the first beauty product you ever purchased? Do you remember? I've always been a lip balm person. So I believe it was like the lip smackers, the flavored lip balms. I remember having one that gave my lips like this berry color, this berry tint. And I just felt so grown. (laughs) It was like my version of lipstick. I loved it. How old were you? I might have been maybe six buying it with my allowance. Uh-huh. You know, it was my thing. I mean, earlier today, I went out to the store. I put my berry lip balm on and then I put a face mask on so no one could see it. But I don't ever wear plain lip balm. My lip balm is always berry colored. So what was the most recent beauty product you purchased or tried? Um, I actually purchased two blushes today. Okay. I got a coral color blush from Max Factor and I got a hot pink blush from Rimmel. And I came home from the store, took off my mask, and I dusted the coral on my right cheek and the pink on my left cheek. And that was like eight hours ago, but it's still there (laughs) right now uh, because I didn't bother to wash it off. So my face (laughs) looks a little crazy right now, but I've decided that the coral will be my holiday blush and the pink Mm -hmm. will be my everyday blush because you have to have options. Yes, absolutely. So next question is, what's the best beauty advice you either live by or leave alone? Um, live by, I would say never put on one type of mascara. If you're going to wear mascara, put on four or five different ones. 
that's how you get that. I'm wearing fake eyelashes, but oops, look closely. I'm really not. These are my regular lashes with mascara. That's how you get those crazy, spidery, in-your-face long lashes. You have to put on four or five different types. Do a volumizing. Do a lengthening. Do a thickener. Then do a lengthening. And then do a volumizing. And then you're done. (laughs) I love it. Who gave you the best career advice and what was it? My editor at Ladies Home Journal, her name was Sasha. When I got the job at Glam Media, which I knew was an affiliate network masquerading as sort of an editorial storefront, I was a little nervous. I accepted, but when I went to give my two-week notice to her, she noticed that I was kind of anxious about it. And she was like, listen, as trite as this is, fake it until you make it. She's like, you know editorial, you know copy, you know good headline, you know everything that you need to know to be an editor. It's perfectly fine. It doesn't matter that you were only, I was only at the EA job for six months before I got the offer for the other role. I know a lot of people stay in their editorial assistant jobs for two to three years, but I was in and out. So I hopped up to editor fairly quickly and I took that advice. I went in there, I held my head high and it worked out for me. Great. What's your best interview prep tip? Create a fake LinkedIn profile. What fake sounds bad. Create a second LinkedIn profile with the name. And what's the purpose of that? The craziest name that you're going to name. You do it because you want to look at the people that work there already in your department and in other departments. It's important because a lot of companies these days are hiring for culture fit. They're not necessarily hiring for your skill set. So you want to see who these people are and just kind of sort of peruse their backgrounds and their photos. You want to seem familiar with that team because I believe that comes out within the rounds of interviews. You're a little more at ease because you know a little bit about them already. And you don't look stalkerish because you're doing it from your own account. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a great idea for anybody at any career level. Mm -hmm. to do that, to prepare. So what makes a candidate memorable to you? I think it's memorable if they come in and they're able to answer the questions earnestly and with ease. And I hate to say that because I know that a lot of people don't interview well. It's a lot of pressure. And I don't always believe that the person who interviews best is the person that gets the job. That's not always true. But it stands out to me when someone can come into a panel interview situation and sail through it with such ease. I think that's a skill that even I don't have. So it's something that sticks out to me. So when do you know when it's time to pivot? Because you've done a few pivots in your career. I think if you're paying attention to the industry and the markets and you see that the stock markets, everyone's sort of throwing their dollars in one way, like right now, My advice is if you're trying to get a job, look into fintech or medtech. That's where all the dollars are going. That's where they'll be hiring people to use their editorial skills to sort of take all that tech jargon and humanize it and turn it into snackable copy that people can digest easily and understand. That's why all these tech brands need editors like people with journalism degrees, because no one can take a paragraph of a copy that's written by a tech person turned marketer. And then they are really confused as to why the average consumer isn't picking up on it. And it's because you're speaking to them in a way that a marketer speaks to people. And you don't want that. These tech companies are finally understanding that. That's a great tip as well. Mentor or mentee? Last question. 
mentee. You always want to keep learning. Right. I love it. And that's a great way to end. Keep <laughs> learning. And no matter where you are in your career, keep learning. And I oh. learned a lot. To, I, I, I learned some, I picked up some good tips today myself. So um, <laughs> and that applies to everyone. Even if you're a seasoned professional, you can always learn something else. And it actually behooves you to, because you don't want to get left behind. I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for asking me to do this. It was really fun to chat with oh. you. And it's reminded me how much I love beauty and how much I loved it back in the days. Right. It's always in your bones. Always. You never get rid of it. Oh, I know. <laughs> All right. Have a great day. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. That's our show for today. Remember that there's more than one way to the top. And the most important step is the first one. So start right here.